All of us are on a journey of becoming, a never-ending journey in pursuit of truth and deeper union with the divine. Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing and that our journey of becoming can be both difficult and painful. Far too often, we have not been given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson. My good friend Greg Ferrand and I are also on this journey of becoming. We are both dedicated to inviting you into our journeys and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. We want to take an honest look at the issues and questions so common to this shared journey that we all find ourselves on. We want to genuinely seek out what it means to follow Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. We have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but rather that both doubt and curiosity are two of our biggest allies. We have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And we believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining us on that journey. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. We are back in action and podcasting. Uh, I'm here with my co-host and good friend, Greg. Greg, how's it going, man? I'm doing well, doing well, excited about this conversation today. Yeah, it's going to be fun. This is So this is our first time. Uh, so we've recorded some episodes already, but this is our first time recording with a guest, you and I yep. as co-hosts. Right, right on. Let's so see really, how it goes. Yeah, it's a trial and error kind of thing. So like, <laughs> could be if it a doesn't, yeah, complete it, shit show. We'll find it out. It could be, we'll just right. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, our guest is very gracious, and I think it'll be a fun conversation partner. So he'll be able to like help us along a little bit, you know? That's right. That's right. Um, but before we jump in, I do. So I want to do something I've never done before. It's going to feel weird, but I want to give what in the industry they call a call to action. What do you think about that? <laughs> I, I'm a little nervous. I'm excited, but I like I like your professionalism and hit it. Hit All right, it. here here's the professional call to action. Uh, Greg, we're going to theology beer camp. Yeah, man, I am very excited about that. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. So theology beer camp, uh, hosted by Homebrew Christianity and our friend Trip Fuller. Shout out Trip. Uh, shout out Homebrew Christianity. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's going to be October 13th through the 15th in chapel hill north carolina and on the website it says three days of craft nerdum with your favorite god pods and so there's going to be a whole bunch of really cool um other podcasts that are adjacent to ours and to homebrew christianity um there's some really cool uh speakers that are coming in to speak um and it's going to be a lot of fun so like listeners two things. One, go to theologybeer.camp and check that out to see if that's something you'd be interested in, which the answer is obviously yes, you're interested in it. And mm -hmm. if you would like to go, then we have a $50 off coupon code for them, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. Which is rethink. personalized. Yeah, yeah. Rethink. Personalized. Rethink. So enter that word rethink. That'll be 50 bucks off for you. Um, it's going to be a great time. And a secret, I haven't said this yet. 
um, Trip asked me to brew a special beer for the event. So I built the recipe the other day. Nice. I'm not going to say what kind of beer it is yet, but I am brewing. All right. Josh Patterson is personally brewing with the sponsorship of Full Tail Brewing, where I work, a beer for the event. Has he got a customized can? Yeah. Oh, of course. Oh, perfect. Of course. Why would you design it? Did you design it? Is this also not only crafted the beer, but you're also designing the the can? So we'll let the graphic designer do that because they're probably way better than I am. Actually, I know for (laughs) a fact, uh, Phil is fantastic, but Trip kind of gave me uh, the the idea, the concept that he wants to see happen on the can. And um, I'm not going to say too much because Trip listens to the podcast, but I'm going to try to throw in a few little surprises you know, nice. take his take his concept, run with it, give him a few little surprises uh, while we're at it. So perfect. perfect. We'll see what happens. But I'm awesome. excited for that. But yeah, anyway, I'm done with the call to action and uh, being professional. I want to. You did. Talk- you did a really great job. I just want to put a pin in that. Come around and say, <laughs> "Well done, man." That was so for your first time. You, I'm just you're a pro. Impressive. Nailed it. I've been practicing <laughs> in the mirror every in morning. The mirror, yeah, with my wife. She's like sick of Good. hearing it. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, shut the hell up. You crush it. You freak you crushed it, man. We should wrap up right now. You just it's just so All good. Right. Yeah, this has been uh Rethinking Faith. Thank you guys. Um be sure to go out and purchase the the book of our guest, uh, whose name will we won't say because he didn't even get a chance to talk. No, just kidding. <laughs> All right, but let's go ahead and bring him in. I'm excited to hang out. Uh I'm gonna so screw up your last name, Nelson. Uh Nelson, is it Boshman? Nailed it. Nailed All it, right. Man. Nelson, You're on how fire. are you doing, my friend? <laughs> on fire, just two for two. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's good to be with you guys. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks so much for uh, for hanging out. It's it's been a little bit. So, listeners, if you know if you've been listening for a while, I've I've ref- uh, 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 referenced <laughs> Jesus Collective in the past, and Jesus Collective is actually how I met Nelson. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Nelson is a is a super cool dude. Um, we had fun together in Jesus Collective, and Nelson wrote a book and I was excited to read it. I enjoyed it. And so I wanted him to come hang out with us. Um, so yeah, Nelson, do you want to uh, just give people maybe a little bit of background information on yourself, like who you are, what kind of stuff you find yourself doing, anything you think may or may not be important? <laughs> sure. So just an open question there. I could tell, I could fill the hour, just let you know what's going on. Um, fill a couple of minutes. Um, yeah, my name is Nelson. I'm a pastor. I guess you could call me a co-founding pastor of a church called Artisan out in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And uh, we began in 2009. So this fall, I guess we'll be 13. And uh, yeah, by grace, we're still here, still exist and grateful for that. I am a husband of one wife, the father of one daughter, and uh, yeah, my wife Terry uh, is actually a pastor on our staff as well. My full title is Pastor of Spiritual Formation. Uh, Hers is a pastor of Children and Family Formation, and uh, she is part-time. I'm full-time, and we've got a couple other folks on our team as well. I won't go get into all of that, but um, yeah, I, I... was born in Vancouver, uh, but I was the son of a pastor, uh, the nephew of a pastor, the grandson of a pastor. Um, and for us, bringing it back to the local kind of family, um, we that meant some moving around for us. So born in the city of Vancouver, but then also um, spent some time in Fresno, California and Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. 
and then back in the lower mainland of BC. And so now in Vancouver for, yeah, the last 13 or 14 years or so. And yeah, I'll call this probably the closest thing to home that I've had. Yeah, good to be with you guys. Nice. Well, welcome. We're really, really glad you're here. And uh, give, us, give us the name of your book, uh, Nelson, that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, it's called The Growing Season. And the subtitle is Contemplations on Wine and the Soul. Mm. Yeah. All right, we just got to ask right out of the gate, man. Okay, so obviously there's a billion metaphors uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for everything, right? And, the, and I think the reason that metaphors are so powerful is sometimes, uh, I mean, I think there's a reason that Jesus primarily taught with stories, right? I think that they can sometimes uh, get past the defenses in our minds and some of the things we build up and they have the emotional capacity to kind of sneak under the door uh, of, of what we're blocking. And uh, so there's real power in metaphor. So what was it about winemaking? Obviously, straight out of Hebrew scripture, straight out of New Testament. But for you personally, what was it that resonated deeply for you to want to flow yeah. in this direction? Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, even before I get to that, when you, what you mentioned, even the notion of metaphor and theology, I right away think of Eugene Peterson. <clears throat> and back in the day, I taught at, uh, at a small theological school as well and got to teach on the Psalms. And so that was one of the things that was the early, even before I get to wine itself, um, Eugene Peterson's work on the Psalms. And he said at one point, I think in the book, that we're almost embarrassed by the amount of metaphor that we find in scripture sometimes <laughs> in terms of the way we, we uh, respond to it. But he had just a way of opening that up for me and making me even more open than I already was to yeah, understanding God, understanding self, understanding the earth through the language of metaphor and, and certainly our formation and transformation. So bringing it closer to the wine metaphor, um, uh, when we moved to the city back in 2008 from Abbotsford, so about an hour east of Vancouver, um, we had some dear friends who moved away, but to a different location. They moved to wine country in Canada, the cap, really the wine capital of Canada, it's called Oliver and uh, up in a place called the Okanagan Valley. And so that's probably Canada's premier wine region. Um, close second would be Niagara, I think, in, uh, in Ontario. Uh, but these were dear, dear friends who I like to call like track pants friends, like you put on your sweatpants or your track pants and you go over to their house and open up bags of chips and M&Ms and watch Seinfeld as, as we did back in that, in that day. And so they moved away. It was like, well, these are track pants friends. We need to visit them. And so we just began to book at least one visit sometimes two every year to go up to wine country to visit our friends. And one of the things that we did was we just started to tour wineries and BC is relatively young as an industry. And so this is going back, yeah, again, 15 years ago, there were maybe 15 or 20 years into their heyday. And I don't even know if we've arrived at a heyday yet, but we're getting there. And so I realized I like tasting wine and touring wineries is one of my favorite things to do ever. And so as I kind of, uh, develop that enthusiasm, I started to realize that, oh yeah, scripture has things to say about uh, wine as a metaphor. I'm also interested in what scripture, it, between the cracks of what scripture talks about and the, the whole process. And so when I realized I had a sabbatical coming up, uh, I thought, what if I could actually get my hands dirty a little bit more and learn a bit more about that process and weave in then my own story Bring that into conversation with the scriptural story and then my own experience in 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 tracking the process that wine takes from grape to glass or even from dirt to glass so yeah 
so it's a combination, I guess, of just my, my theological understanding, appreciation of metaphor, appreciation of how Jesus looks at the stuff of earth and is not embarrassed by it, but in fact draws our attention to it all the time. So that was kind of the, the big picture of the journey for me. That's, a, that's like a, a pretty good sabbatical, man. Like, <laughs> totally. so you, so like you took your sabbatical and you actually went and worked in a winery, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I had uh, a three month sabbatical plus a month of holiday. So a total of four months. So for the first of those months, I managed to get uh, an unpaid apprenticeship at a winery called Inca Meep Cellars. It's a NK apostrophe MIP. It's uh, North America's first First Nations owned uh, winery. And so got a chance to spend a month with them, which for me with a two and a half year old at the time meant, and my wife with me and also wanting me to have a break and her to have a break, uh, 10 or 12 working days, something like that within that whole month, um, a few days in the vineyards, number of days in the cellar and a few days in the tasting room. And so got enough of a cross section to be a little bit more uh, just aware in my own knowledge. Um, yeah. And so, and then the last half, just worth mentioning, we managed to get a home exchange in Bordeaux in France. So I got to visit the old world as well. Didn't do any working, you know, hands on there, but, uh, got to visit a few chateaus and wine stores, which is where you can taste wine out there, um, more readily sometimes than in the chateaus themselves. So Dude, yeah. you have, that's a ridiculous skill set to pull that sabbatical off to that's like the per you need to like do some sabbatical planning i'm i'm, I'm getting in touch with you that's ridiculous so how, how long yeah, were you in bordeaux yeah about a month in bordeaux about a month in bordeaux um wow. that was a yeah a four-week home exchange so again budget budget wise it worked out really well to get on the home exchange program and and uh someone wanted to come to downtown vancouver and we wanted to go and stay in their 17th century stone farmhouse surrounded by by vineyards it was not bad <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty good. So like, Greg, if you need, if you are like thinking along similar lines next time you need a sabbatical, um, I can teach you how to brew beer. It's different than okay, wine, sweet, sweet. but there are, there are some similarities. And like when I was a pastor, actually, yeah. this is one thing Nelson and I had connected about um, mm. before Jesus Collective. When I was a pastor is when I first started getting into homebrewing and I started talking about and seeing homebrewing as a spiritual practice. And then Nelson was like, oh, I'm working on this book about uh <laughs> winemaking as, as spiritual and i was like heck yeah man that's pretty pretty rad so all right but we'll set up the we'll set up the home exchange to from baltimore to north carolina yeah. <laughs> a little a little less uh, exotic but it'll it'll <laughs> it'll work I, yeah. yeah i mean like coming to to baltimore city will be fun right like people talk shit about us on you know on tv and stuff <laughs> all the time i love it here um but like you can i saw a video the other day actually it was like this uh this like older British man and he was sitting out and he was making a TikTok and he was reading a novel and he was in um, Mexico city, like in Mexico. And he was like, Hey, so like, um, here I am, I'm in Mexico city. Look around. I'm safe. I'm reading a novel. He was like, all those people that talk shit, they've never even been here. So fuck them. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, you just come, it? just come and experience it for yourself. The yes. are beautiful. You and that's my thoughts on Baltimore City for everyone out there who's a hater. <laughs> that, that's that's strong. That's a strong public message. Uh and, and representing your city with pride. Yeah, nice. Well, I will come for a visit. And the harbor's nice there too. Nice. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's Sweet. perfect. 
All right. Well, since we're speaking, actually, this is a is, is a nice seg- uh, segue because um, in the beginning of your your book, Nelson, you talk about this this use this phrase somewhereness, which I absolutely love. Oh. <laughs> and Baltimore <laughs> is currently my somewhereness. Yeah. Um, and just the idea of like location and perspective and viewpoint, oh. uh-huh. um, I thought was really interesting, and uh, how you tied that in with. Um, just the, the very big, you know, the beginning of the winemaking process. Um, could you share with us a little bit about uh, somewhereness and what yes. that has to do with, uh, with wine? Oh man. Yeah. There it's, it is such a rich term and I got to give credit to uh, a wine writer that I got to know in my research named Matt Kramer. He's an American wine writer. You can look him up and probably, you know, lots of stuff on the internet, but he's written several books. And so he coined that term. Uh, as as a way of capturing what the French call terroir. And so this notion of place and that this incredible beverage, which is made from one grape, has so much possibility kind of contained within it, but that a part of the story of that wine, (laughs) which doesn't begin as wine, but begins as a grape, that grape also has its own story. Uh, the varietal of the grape, the roots, the, the age of the vines, um, the type of soil, the some, I, I believe the French would, a lot of French folk would even say that the story of the vineyard and the farmers are part of the terroir or the whole story of a grapes or a wine's somewhereness. And so that just an expansive idea like in itself. So terroir being a kind of a tricky word for most, again, non-French people to actually just say. And so um, everything that, that speaks about a wine's place and its origins. And so again, when you talk about metaphor and probably a whole book could be written on the somewhereness just in terms of the formation of the soul and and just attending to our own sense of place and so uh i wanted when i had the idea of writing the book i chronologically made sense to me let's well let's move from the very beginning to to towards the end product and uh, so i wanted to invite people to think about their own sense of somewhereness and what has contributed to their sense or lack of sense of place and where, where they identify. And uh, yeah, we move into um, uh, the Maori culture has, has another word that they, they say, uh, Taronga Waiwai, which is their word for somewhereness or terroir. And it, it's incidentally came through the wine industry, someone who was speaking about wine uh, in New Zealand and talked about uh, Taronga Waiwai. And that was really a, just called a place to stand or a place to belong. And uh, so, yeah, that seemed to be something worth reflecting on. And I realized with all the moving around that I did um, that I, I don't really have a sense. It's hard for me to uh, sort of get to a sense of somewhereness that this is a place where I stand, a place where I belong, but recognize that I'm, I've never been too far from the ocean and the Pacific in particular. So water and the ocean has, is maybe the closest sense to my own somewhereness that I found. Yeah, that's so you've got my mind going a thousand different directions, even with just mm. this, like you said, just somewhereness could be uh, its own uh, huge book. But so you so in terms of somewhereness, is that when you unpack that, and as you, I'm sure you continue to unpack it, I'm sure as soon as you finish the book, like there's all sorts of continued nuance that continues to pop for you, because this is just you've delved into it so deeply. Yeah. So in somewhereness, is that 
would you describe that as a person's uh, awareness of self? You know, it, it would it would seem to me a really good place to start the book because in general we function uh, fairly on a view of our existing paradigms and even our understanding of self. Like if we are raised in a particular fish tank, a cultural fish tank, we just think this is reality, right? And it's not until there's new right. data points that begin to bump up against our edges that we say, well, shit, maybe this isn't how the world works or maybe, and, and, and we begin to explore our existing lens on life, our existing paradigms. Would you oh, yeah. say, when you talk about somewhereness, is this predominantly this subconscious uh self that we need to begin to explore and understand in order to evolve and grow is this primarily in the realm of paradigm uh and and the lens on life through which we are uh viewing and experiencing the world um obviously that's tied into actual physical place like you said pacific ocean it's it's tied into uh the family we grew up in our community our church community our lack of church community the suffering the good parts but just unpack unpack somewhere a little more in terms of identity and and why why start here i mean what's the point why dig into this from the beginning yeah yeah good i don't get too uh esoteric about it i guess i i really am inviting the reader to consider if they haven't before or to maybe just dig deeper into the sense of how place how how your root experiences as a child um how some of the fears that you've encountered some of the messages you've received the music you listen to, the um, how your family life has kind of shaped you, just to pay attention to how you have been formed in place in, in your own kind of sense. Because again, the whole theme is transfer formation and transformation. So to, to recognize that place plays a, a huge role in that. And just as it does with wine, and just that folks who are really kind of keen and kind of nerdy about wine are very, very fascinated by, again, how, re how deep the roots go. What is the story here? Um, I'm really just kind of inviting the reader through a personal lens, because you'll see that I, I kind of tried to write in a way that makes the reader uh, actually the subject. So it's actually really not about wine. It's not about spirituality. It's about you and about your life within yourself, within God and with uh, others and that sort of idea. So yeah, it's really just an invitation to self-reflection and to consider the, the, uh, the role that place and space and experience have, have played in shaping who you are and how, who you are today, yeah. And um, Nelson, one thing that I really enjoyed or that I thought of too, uh, when reading that chapter, um, was just, I feel like somewhereness can really help um, tie us and bring us back into the present moment. Um, and what I mean by that is like, when I, uh, when you talk about like this wine, I would call it like looking deeply into the bottle of wine, right? And you can see, like you were saying, the, the soil, the kind of grapes, whatever. But if you keep looking, then not only do you see that, but you see the farmers, you know, and you see the, the, I don't know what you call a wine brewer, but a wine, <laughs> that yeah. person, Yeah. what's the right maker. word for that? Just, Just a wine, wine maker. maker. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. You can see the wine makers. Um, but then also you can see the like delivery drivers who bring the mm -hmm. material. You can see the, and if you keep looking, basically you get down to the point where it's like, you see the sunshine and the rain and the clouds and the earth. And like all of a sudden this bottle of wine implicates the entire universe yeah. if we can look at it deeply. And so with somewhereness, yeah. I, I thought of that too. Um, 
And, you know, I, I got excited because I, it, it made me think like, oh, when we drink beer, people like don't often think about that. They don't care. They're just like, oh, what kind of hops are in it, dude? Or like, <laughs> you know, is this, you know, dry hopped or, or not? Like, is it hazy? Um, so like, I was wondering like, what would, what would it look like then to look deeply into uh, a glass of beer? And that's the same kind of questions. Uh-huh. Um, but then just in general, then taking that idea and applying it to ourselves and then also to others and looking deeply in, into another. Um, exactly. Those are just some things that, you know, really came to mind that I um, kind of sat in, like it contemplated uh, when reading about some awareness. Totally. Yeah. And spoiler, spoiler alert, we, we re- revisit somewhereness at the very end of the book as well. And that's where we, we, we begin to turn outward. So we begin with a sense of our own personal journey, but then how do we, how do we then take, I don't know, some of that, some of that lens, some of that attentiveness, some of that discovery, some of that curiosity um, about our own story and our own sense of place and how we've been formed and apply that to our relationships with others. Um, to really to look and to see and to swirl metaphorically and to think and deduce, yeah, about uh, how we see other people. I think that you, okay, both of you, all, good lord, you're both getting me thinking so many thoughts. But it, it to me, it, even at the beginning, Josh, what you're describing and with somewhereness, it's. I think if we give it that, kind of, I think a, a danger and a starting point that many of us have is that we're starting as separate beings as if we're this autonomous separate being and i'm beginning to examine myself but of course somewhereness inherently is connected that there's we're we're utterly inseparable every bit of us has been shaped by interaction and and that's not just true on a psychological or emotional level but what josh is saying just this past sunday i was uh at a church up in the mountains and i was celebrating eucharist and we saw you know here's this wine and here's these wafers and it's so easy just like cattle roll up, get your stuff, sit back down. And just thinking about what you were saying, Josh, that this wine, not that long ago, were grapes on a vine that were being tended to by this winemaker, this farmer. And then you think about the nutrients that they're pulling up from the earth to make the grape. And how many, if we, if we thought about the billions of molecules that are being soaked up through those mm-hmm. roots, if we, if we could have a camera on the history of each of those molecules, uh, there would be some that have made up other people. There's some that have made up other animals, some from uh, from stars that have supernovas that exploded with the heavy minerals. And you just begin to realize that within this one grape, literally, as you said, Josh, is the universe. And then we mm. take that sip of wine. And and while a minute ago it was wine, now it becomes our our, our, our capillaries and our eyelash and our fingernail. And, and so it's just a, a healing from this delusion of separation. Mm. But I do think we, we need that invitation because it's inherently then calls us outside of ourselves uh to realize that we are utterly connected with others There's, that separation is bullshit it's a complete delusion but Absolutely. but we function in that delusion and i think that's the root of the deepest suffering in the world mm-hmm. anyway so anyway you've got me that just got me uh i think this this uh uh this description of terroir is that how you say it? terroir terroir mm-hmm. yeah terroir yeah uh terroir and then uh and, and this universal connection okay mm-hmm. so so the, after, after that section on somewhereness, you begin to talk about uh, pruning vines. Mm. Um, and obviously, I mean, that's just, we know in the, the New Testament, you know, Jesus begins to talk about this with these metaphors. Yeah. And there's kind of the, uh, the obvious uh, uh, process. But, I'm, but in many ways, I'm not sure that we 
we probably understand that yeah, you got to prune some shit to make the shit grow. You know, it, it's, you got to prune it to make it healthy, but unpack yeah. it a little more. Like I'm yeah. sure with a, with a winemaker, it might just be a whisper more complex than that. And what, <laughs> what's the heart behind it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, really what I wanted to, or what, what, what stood out to me in my minimal exposure to my, like the time in the vineyard was, at least what, what seemed richest metaphorically and to explore there and what I could actually understand and get my head around with just being there a few days as opposed to the whole of the growing season. <laughs> and uh, was this tension between uh, the work the vines have to do and work that is done to them. And so, yeah, there is this sense, I remember at one point, uh, the the vineyard boss that I was hanging out with said yeah so even just to say to think of what water so not just even yeah it, how do we how do we bring the nourishment to to the vines themselves and you don't want to give them too much because then they get lazy and so the the vines got to the roots got to go down and they they got to dig down and to find that water and to to reach for that sort of those nutrients and allow them to sort of be drawn up into themselves and so there is work that the vine has to do, and then there's work that's done that's done to them. And when we bring that into the life of faith and spirituality, um, that tension wasn't always super nuanced in my own growing up. It either fell off on one side or the other more often than not for me, it was all up to me. It was all up to me as the plant to sort of make myself grow and flourish. And yes, could give sort of intellectual assent or lip service to this idea that the spirit is in me and doing some work also, but it really felt peripheral or at least in my understanding. And really though, I gotta drive this bus home and it's gotta happen. Um, if it doesn't happen, if I don't sort of do it, then might as well just sort of chuck it all because I'm not going to grow, not going to flourish, not going to be as good a Christian as we're uh, meant to be. And so that led to, um, you know, if, if, if you're falling off on that side, um, self-image <laughs> becomes a little bit of an issue. It's like, I, oh, does God actually... Is he actually really into me? Like he says he loves me, but I'm not sure if he really likes me all that much. And so some of those questions get raised. Um, and then just this notion that it just opened, opened up this sense that God as a gardener is super focused and attentive and actually loves being with the vines, loves being with the growing things, not just because he, she has to, but actually delights in um, this thing that, that God has made and is, and is growing and flourishing. Um, yeah. So that was one of the tensions that, that I felt it was, it was necessary to sort of point out and just to relay some of my own experience about. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, that tension uh, resonates with me deeply and I want to, I want to touch on that, but I want to throw another like metaphor from brewing that this, makes me think of it's a little nice. bit further down the process but when you know you're talking about uh you know doing too much to the grapes to get lazy or not enough whatever so it's not perfect but um when you pitch yeast uh for fermenting a beer 
there's like pitch ratios that you're given and like the temperature has to be specific and all this kind of stuff, depending on the strain of yeast you're using. Um, but like over pitching is bad because then, like you said, the yeast gets lazy. Uh, but then there's something interesting that uh, Bryce and I, uh, he's the, the other Briar work that discovered by accident. Um, and that was under pitching yeast, which is when you don't pitch enough. And so homebrewers, if you're looking for a tip, here you go. Under pitch your yeast if you're looking to accentuate the, um, the flavor uh, that the yeast can bring forth. So like we you know, do this uh, sour series and we could like never quite get the base quite sour enough. And then we underpitched the yeast by accident. And then this thing like popped off, but it's because the yeast was given like enough that it could do its thing, but also it was like put under pressure at the same time and kind of stressed a little bit. And then it actually began to flourish under that, uh, stressed, um, you know, uh, situation that they were put in. So it really expressed the sourness from the yeast, but also the yeast like flocculated like crazy. The amount of yeast that I dumped from that tank <laughs> was way more than uh, I originally pitched. So that feels like it fits for some reason. Yes. <laughs> for for and, another metaphor. And oh, I, I also that. just want to I just want to name that you just used the word flocculated, uh, <laughs> which I've never heard that. I pride myself on my vocabulary. I just want to say that's a new you know word for the day, and I'm proud of you. I'm flocculation. <laughs> it it sounds sexual, but it's not. It well kind sure? of is. It's it like can, it's another of... metaphor. Just let's just make yeah. it a metaphor that you can apply it anywhere. There's no yeah, need to true. limit it. That's true. <laughs> Okay, so, yeah, so here's great. There's another just sort of throwing one little other example that's sort of coming to mind and, and relates to that with this too much too little idea. Um, when we're further into the growing season, one of the things that vineyard managers are attending to is is looking for or to do something called pruning or shoot thinning. And so trying to direct as much of the nutrients to the, 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 the shoots that are going to produce the best fruit and the most possible fruit. And then one of the things that they're considering is sunlight and getting sunlight access to those vines. And so they're trimming branches um, in order for that sunlight to access and to, to get at the fruit. And so uh, one of the questions then metaphorically that we ask is where is there over congestion in my, in my life? Is, is, there, is there too much going on um, that, is, that is limiting my sense of attentiveness to my own story, to where the spirit is at work? And so just to simply pose that question, where is there over congestion in your life? And how is the spirit inviting you to participate with him or her in trimming that back? What's the specific invitation to you right now? So. Yeah, man. And that, I mean, that one really hits home that like, just for me calls to mind this idea of silence, um, which is something mm. that I had to learn <laughs> and I'm still learning. Oh, uh, I used to, you can't see it right now. So you have to believe me, but I used to have these massive piles of books on my desk and I used to, you know, destroy and devour books um, like you wouldn't believe. And then, you know, I was like doing all this podcasting and da da da, whatever. But it got to a point where I realized that like I needed to just that was like clutter in my life. Like I I've talked about this with Greg before, but I was like hiding from God in theology, which is oh, yeah. very clever, by the way. I'll give myself credit for that. Totally. Um, but I think a lot of people do that if they're honest with themselves. So hiding from God in theology or like using uh, theology or, you know, biblical studies or whatever as like a numbing tool, as a way of escaping. Mm -hmm. And uh, it also, it stifles creativity because I've been, I've been trying to write 
um, as well. And I'm making some progress on it. I actually just started writing a chapter about death the other day. So that, that was fun. Um, but when we have all this constant input, which I think is just how society functions as a whole, right? Like we're always being blasted with things. And then I was just adding more shit to my pile, <laughs> you know, too much input, too much input, um, mm-hmm. which then stifles creativity. Uh, and so like minute, like getting rid of stuff, you know, stop podcasting for three months. Uh, I don't read nearly as much as I used to. I still read. Um, I can't totally get rid of it. Uh, moderation, but like that. And then just seeing the sitting in silence and just being willing to see like, okay, now that I've removed things, like, let's see what happens has been like one of the greatest things I've ever done. Like Uh, hands down. So I don't know if that resonates with either of you. Oh, absolutely. And it's not easy to do. Like you said, it's a, this is a lifelong journey to, to learn silence. I'm reading Martin Laird's second book. Uh, he did, wrote, read it, wrote into the silent land and now I'm reading a sunlit absence, which just goes deeper into that, that sense of like, oh, this is an ongoing journey. I, I led a silent retreat not long ago where I just encouraged folks who, especially if they'd never done one before, this is just two nights. It was not a, not a hugely long one, but don't bring, like bring a book or two. Don't bring a stack though, because books can be a way of us just keeping um, that interior space uh, just a little bit shut off. We, we keep God at arm's length or keep the spirit at arm's length through the books that we're reading sometimes. But just again, to, for people to attend, what, what, what's the particular thing for you? To not to assume that everyone's going to over-intellectualize the faith, but, but what is it for you that needs to be trimmed back? Yeah. Uh, th- this is both of, both of what you're saying is really helpful. And I just, and I realized I was feeling, as we're talking about pruning, I, I was feeling some tension in my gut and in my chest. And I was wondering what that was. And as I sat with it, as y'all were talking, I realized when I was younger uh, and a little more conservative in my faith, and I was a, I was a Calvinist, I was a five point Calvinist uh, early, in the early days and the idea of the sovereignty of God. And mm. out of the gate, there's no doubt, God is the winemaker. God is the vine pruner and I'm the vine. And so then I'm sitting here waiting. And then we would adapt such phrases as God won't give you more than you can handle. Uh, which is just like whatever unfolds, it's like this shit show. And you're like, well, I guess I can handle it because this is a complete shit show, I guess, you know, but it 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 places me in this, you know, well, is there, a, uh, you know, I guess is I'm having a hard time. So this must be God making me, you know, a season where I have to grow my roots deep. Uh, and it's, but I'm kind of this, uh, this victim uh, in, in the hands of a gardener that I hope is kind, but what what's shifted for me is we're talking, and, and I, did, I, I really don't, adhere to that theology on many, many levels anymore whatsoever. But I, I think w- what you're describing is uh, as we're tending our own inner journey, that we're this, that we're the winemakers. And Josh, this is what you're describing with moving away from, you know, uh, so many books as distraction of hiding within theology and giving yourself the space of silence. You know, that's, you know, you're giving yourself silence so there can be flocculation uh, of, uh, I just want, I had this, I had to bring it yeah. back. Because it's so well done. There has to be, thank you. Thank you. I mean, that really was not planned, but it just happened. Uh, but yeah. there can be flocculation of uh, presence of actual awareness of, of what you think and not just regurgitating what others think. But I think mm. approaching it as we are the, and I know metaphors are flexible and we can do anything we want with them. At this season of my life, I'm not as comfortable with the idea as God is the winemaker and I'm the, the vine that just is laying there waiting to get trimmed or pruned or yeasted or unyeasted, uh, but rather 
that that co-creating with the Im immersive presence of the divine uh i'm cultivating my own garden in that way yeah yes absolutely yeah what just what does agency look like our, our mm. self-agency and what does that partnership sort of look like and recognizing uh, yeah i mean this is outside necessarily the 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 not the direct scope of the book but if one of the most profound metaphors for my understanding of God in the last 10, 20 years or so has been God as friend. Mm. And when I think about through that lens, it shifts and changes so much, like not just the friend of sinners, although that's important, um, but just a friend period <laughs> actually, mm. actually likes me and wants to hang with me and is out for my good and is interested in having fun together and smiling. And Yeah. So that's good. Glad to hear that's been your journey, Greg. Yeah, that, and I think that gets to like, that gets at the heart of that tension uh, that you were describing us and that like um, things that we do and things that are like done unto us. Mm -hmm. Cause like both, both are true, right? Like we can, um, you know, have this tendency to fall into like just a pure, like victim mentality about like, Oh, all just the things that have been done to us. Um, or then have like this tension of like, you know, nothing else matters, just me kind of thing. So like, but also I think to uh, people who to kind of tie this with maybe some of our listeners, I feel like a, I've heard a lot from people who talk about this idea of deconstruction, which, you know, is a buzzword and all that kind of stuff nowadays. Um, and it's like, but it's like a very real experience but i i just think it's called spiritual growth and maturity <laughs> yes yes 100%. but um like a lot of people talk about it as this thing that happens to them like this fell into my lap and now i see things that i can't unsee so i'm not you know quote unquote deconstructing to like be an ass like i'm doing it because this is where i feel like i'm being i'm i'm being called and let into and so like you have those kind of experiences and then at the same time, it still requires that deep inner work. And it's Absolutely. like, I think that tension is so interesting. Um, interacting with the, the deep inner work that I do and, you know, like centering prayer, like different contemplative practice um, where I am, you know, actively working to, you know, change my brain chemistry and stuff like that. But then also this like internal transformation starts to happen. and then you know, I catch myself saying something and I'm, you know, the narrator part of Josh is sitting back here like, whoa, did Josh really just say that? That was pretty good. Like what? Like, so, and it, but it's coming from this place of transformation that you don't even necessarily realize. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, yes, there's this weird shift yeah. that just happens, but also we do the inner work. <laughs> so mm, yes. I, I like that tension that you're, that you, you, you called forth. Totally. And yeah, and maybe this is, I mean, I heard you all talk about Richard Rohr and I'm a massive fanboy as well, but he's one of the people, one of the many gifts that we have of folks who articulate just a non-binary uh, sort of way of understanding faith and formation. Um, so yeah, there are times where we, we need the black and white. We need to know what, what is wrong, what is right, those sorts of ideas. But there's this interplay, especially when it comes to our, I think our spiritual formation of there's a divine element, a divine impetus and initiative and care and friendship and all of those sorts of things as well. But we respond, there's this beautiful interplay. I'm a jazz mm. musician as well. And so there's this improvisatory kind of component mm. um, 
And oh man, this is just firing as well because Martin Laird is talking about how when it comes to silence and awareness and moving from one or the other, it's sort of like the Hudson River flowing into the Atlantic and like, where does one begin and the other one end? And that's actually a beautiful, okay mystery. I don't have to know. I don't have to pinpoint that. I just have to recognize that it's a thing. And yeah, same goes with this, with this notion of um, kind of trimming vines and, and sort of how grapes grow and how, how wine gets made. Oh, I just want to throw this in too. Another name for winemaker is wine grower. And I use those terms interchangeably because folks who are very, very keen on terroir and somewhereness would say, I'm not a winemaker, actually. I'm a, I grow the wine. And so that's, that's my only mm, role nice. is, to, is to grow it. And so that's probably another, <laughs> uh, yeah, 10, 15 minutes worth of conversation around that metaphor in itself, but we can direct as you will. <laughs> no, I love that. I, I love that concept. I think it acknowledges uh, our connection, right? It acknowledges yes. our inherent connectivity uh, and, and that we're partnering in the mystery, uh, but we are not uh creators in the sense of uh the capacity to make something happen uh and, and that's and because i know within your book and this is a nice segue to another section of your uh, of your book and it ties into both what you just said and what josh just said uh in in my own journey i found i'm i'm very passionate about uh spiritual practice i'm very passionate about and, and by spiritual practice just simply a regular activity that pops me off of autopilot into the present moment it's it's not i, I it doesn't have to be that I'm on the mountaintop uh, and it doesn't even have to be that I'm sitting in my meditation posture. It could be that I'm just actually looking at the clouds and the bird flying by and giving it my full attention, yeah. but it, whatever it does, it pops me uh, out of autopilot into the present moment. And I find that this present moment is where uh, God is, where I am, where life is, where transformation happens. But it's kind of like, all I'm having to do is get off of, uh, get off the hamster wheel. And in that little bit of space, it's like the, the the presence of the divine rushes in and begins to do this healing work that I'm unaware. It's kind of like there's a this is a ridiculous scene, but there's a scene in Finding Nemo uh, where uh, uh, there's this underwater. There's this this shark that's chasing this fish and ends up hitting up this old submarine with mines. And underwater, there's just hundreds of mines exploding, and there's just a cacophony of insanity under the water. And on top of the water, there's just two pelicans. And all that you see on top of the surface is one little bubble pops up. And one of the pelicans thinks it's the other who just farted and says, nice, yeah. and flies <laughs> off. But to me, it's like, that's, that's to me, that's the dynamic oftentimes of spiritual formation. And what I believe is oftentimes our conscious mind might only be uh, cognizant of a glimpse, a bubble, uh, just the barest. But under the surface, the dance between the divine and our very beings is this explosive, uh, gorgeous uh, movement. But it is a mystery. And, and you talk about the mystery of fermentation um, and inner transformation. Um, and our capacity oftentimes is just to create space to get off the hamster wheel, to turn off autopilot, but kind of unpack this concept of the mystery of fermentation and how this relates to, and, and maybe I'm going too far, but uh, this, this dance between the divine and ourselves deeper than the level of consciousness. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. There's a... Um... Again, when it comes to the winemaking process, one of the one of my favorite moments was um, working with the, with the winemakers at Incomeep, and we got to pull some samples from the barrel. I think we were pulling Pinot Noir samples six or eight months into the aging process. They were going to spend at least twelve months, maybe eighteen months, depending on the tier of of wine that they're making. They have a couple of different levels of wine, 
And so with the cellar hand, we got to pull some samples and bring them up into kind of the, their little mini lab. And uh, I have 12 different ones there. And then the winemakers got to take, take um, each one and, and create a couple of different blends. So all the same varietal of grape, all the same uh, style, the same Pinot, Pinot Noir, but pulled from different sections of the vineyard where north side, south side, where the sunlight's gonna be a little bit different, one from this plot over here, one from this plot over there, but then blending them together to create one single wine or maybe two different kinds. <clears throat> and so, first of all, just on the level of pulling something out of the barrel in order to see what is happening. Um, this is sort of like what spiritual practice does in, in some ways, like we don't know what's going on in the barrel most of the time, it's a mystery. We know something about the science because we've studied it over the long term. Um, and so we can say scientifically what's actually going on, but until we actually taste it and see what those effects are, uh, we won't totally know. And so there is this beautiful, gorgeous sort of interplay between we don't know, and that's okay. <laughs> and a moment where we kind of dip, I don't remember what the instrument's called now, but we pull a sample out and we, we kind of sit and we look at it and we kind of wonder about it and we taste it and, and we wonder together and we get to actually see and experience what's going on. So I, I think it's a lot like, it's a lot like spiritual direction where we have a companion and someone is there to listen to a slice of our life's journey. Like sort of, it's like a sample. We sort of pull that out and we say in a session, here's what's going on for me. <laughs> and uh, then they ask us some questions about, okay, well, tell me about that and say more about that. What do you think the spirit might be getting at there? And yeah, really it is just kind of a, that time in the cellar is, it increased my sense of wonder. I was like, this is so amazing. I get to sort of bear witness to this thing and to pay attention to this moment. And what an honor it is to be in that room with these guys who do this all the time. Um, but just to have this front row seat and to watch them uh, do their work. So there's a, there's a sense of wonder as well. And we can translate that into our, our appreciation of the divine as well. And the sense of God with us, like, wow, you are amazing. <laughs> Not just bearing lip service in a worship song or something like that, but this, this is amazing. I am awed, you know, right now at what's going on. Um, yeah. So it's another, another sort of realm of mystery is that, is that sense of what happens in the barrel and um, through, through time and a combination of time and experimentation and, the activity, the thing that's going on that we can't see. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I think it works with like my, how I would describe like a good spiritual director or a good spiritual mm -hmm. teacher is somebody who is able to dip into your soul and, and pull things out of you that have already been there like the whole time. Right. And sometimes it's things that are going on underneath the surface that we're not aware of. Um, the, the spiritual director that I've done a lot of work with uh, Sid is fantastic at doing that. <laughs> She's always able to to pull out whatever that whatever that thing is that like is probably the most prominent thing that you should be focusing on, but like you don't really know that it's there. You don't know what's going on. She just has a way of extracting that. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I think that's really cool. Um, the the ability to do that and draw awareness to that. Um, and then to it just it reminded me just to throw another beer thing there for comparison to this like idea of like uh it's called biotransformation uh dry hopping 
Mm. So when you dry hop a beer, typically what you do is you, that just means adding hops after the boil stage. So dry hopping is typically the beer is done fermenting. And now we throw, you know, we dry hop it. We dump hops into the top of the tank. Um, and that just kind of, you get a lot of like aroma from doing that. Not too much flavor. Of course, there'll be something, but it's mostly for aroma. Um, but biotransformation dry hopping is when you add hops during the fermentation process, <laughs> mm. which is a lot of fun but, um, if you don't volcano a tank, because it's almost like doing that thing where you drop like a mento into a Coke bottle, yes. um, yeah. adding hops to into the yeast, it, the yeast loses its fucking mind and like can explode. Yeah. Um, but then there's this process that happens inside the tank with like these, you know, little hot pellets get added. And then this, like, literally it's called biotransformation because the yeast interacts with the hops and like changes the makeup of the hop and creates these like new flavors and aromas that didn't exist before and pulls them out of the hop. Something that like, you didn't see it right yeah, until it yeah. was, it was transformed and, and drawn out. So just Oof. something I thought of when you were speaking. Oh, Josh, I love that. So can I throw a question back around that just to stay in nerd land for just a couple seconds. Um, so I, so you know how, so bring it to wine for a second. So, you know, when you see people holding a glass of wine and I, I always, again, coach people, hold it by the stem, not by the bowl. Cause you don't want to heat up the bowl, hold it by the stem or even the base, learn how to swirl because I was reading a book by a woman called Bianca Bosker. It's called cork dork. So shout out, Bianca is a journalist, but she decided to see if she could become a sommelier because she became a bit of a wine nerd. So the, the book charts her journey of becoming a psalm and to see it, just to see if she could do it just for shits and giggles, you know? And so she actually did it and chronicled her journey, but it was through reading her book that she said she discovered that 80% of the experience of wine is olfactory, which is through the sense of smell. Right, wow. 80%. Wow. So if you are not swirling, you're missing out, like you are getting the tip of the iceberg. And so it's when people swirl wine, it's not just being pretentious or trying to look cool. It's like, and, and then they get their nose right in there. If you've seen any documentary of it, like really the really nerdy Psalm documentaries and they're just in there and they're tennis ball, cat pee, all of these different, you know, tastes and, and smells that they're pulling out. So it just made me curious when you talked about dry hopping and aromas, about is there science with beer as to what is it similar is it the sense of like actually most of the experience of beer even once it hits your palate is through the sense of smell or through the olfactory senses hmm. yeah that's an interesting question i'm not actually sure i so i do know that like if you when you're taught to taste beer uh one of the things you i mean aroma is one of the first things you do it's totally. so like beer nerds when they come to the bar like, or the brewery rather, don't call it a bar, uh, into the brewery, <laughs> they will, um, when you pour them a flight or just like hand them a glass of beer, that's like one of the first things people do is stick their nose into it. Um, totally. I mean, I do the same thing, same. Uh, just yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To, to get the aroma to see, um, cause it's interesting, right? It's always, it's always fun to see. And then like, try to pick out, like, it's hard, but try to pick out like hop varieties, or like right. um, you can get a lot of like fruity notes or earthy notes, depending on what's in there. Um, I think aroma matters. I, I would agree with, I don't know, like a percentage, like 80% or something, but I think people who don't um, partake in the full experience like that are missing out because there is, the aroma does add something uh, because our smell and our taste are so closely connected. 
yeah. um, you need both of them, right? And so the the aroma, I think, enhances the beer drinking experience. Right. If you just take a second to, um, like Greg said, pop out of autopilot and stop to smell the roses, so to speak. Yes. Uh, don't be ashamed well, to stick your nose in a glass of beer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, welcome, welcome back to uh, beer brewing and wine growing with Greg and Josh. We're gonna be getting, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna give some more pro tips on your homebrew kits exactly. and, your, uh, and your vine pruning. No, but I, it does it all of this. I mean, of course, this every every new nuance that you guys are describing is just popping is is metaphor popping with potential and uh, and and meaning. I I guess I do think about okay. So we we're we're defining that there's mystery. Obviously, there's mystery. What happens in the barrel? There's this concept of the impact of time. Uh, and uh, the the chemistry uh, of 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 what's unfolding there, and I do think about the the pragmatic. I mean, I'm I, I tend to be kind of a pragmatist, and and what this looks like in the nitty gritty in life, right? And 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 unpacking this in, okay, in in real transformation, what does it mean when we're with a spiritual director like Josh is describing, and they're pulling something out from our journey and holding space, it kind of brings something to light, uh, or and, and just in my own journey, and we've talked about this before, Josh, but I found that real transformation, it's very rarely, I mean, there are those mountaintop moments, like maybe when you put the hot pellets in, you got the volcanic reaction. Uh, but for most of the time in my life, the transformation has been far more subtle and gradual um, and much more like, much less like a, a volcano, much less like Vesuvius and, and much more like gently lapping waves, moving a few grains of sand at a time. And, and on the day-to-day when I'm sitting and watching the birds or doing some centering prayer or anything else like that, the change is almost imperceptible. But over time, you go back to that same beach nine months later, a year later, the whole landscape has been transformed. And and I, so I just think about what, Nelson, in terms of transformation, like maybe just give like a an example of what this looks like, applying the metaphor to your story in the specific. Yeah. Um, hmm. My, yeah. Wow. There's a few different threads we could pull on this. Well, uh, why don't, yeah, <laughs> we can talk about my journey with afflictive emotion. So in my own experience, so I've been a directee for over 20 years and I've been a spiritual director for about six or seven myself. And one of the things that I was taught some years back is to think about my emotional experience or just to separate myself from my thoughts and my emotions. I'm just, I'm not the same thing. My thought is, it's a kid's book, actually. A thought is just a thought. It's not you. It's just not. And it's just really good. That just sticks with me. And um, I'm an Enneagram nine. That's something that is no secret to anyone that's read the book as well. And so one of the things that caused tension for me was this realization that I'm part of a triad, 891, known as the anger triad or the gut triad. Like, do we feel that that intelligence center is primarily the gut, the body? But then ironically that the nine, because it's in the center and my wings don't go outside my triad, I have the hardest time identifying with that anger or gut sense. And I, that resonated for me. I'm like, I'm not an angry person. What are you talking about? And so something unlocked for me when 
I don't know if it's a therapist or a spiritual director, it doesn't matter, maybe just a close friend. I'm really blessed with emotionally intelligent close friends. And someone said, well, frustration is like anger, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I know frustration, but for me, they were in separate categories. Frustration is something that's all internal. It's beneath the surface. It's the explosions in Nemo. And, uh, and what bubbles up is often what, what the nine maybe lets loose, or it just becomes an explosion because I bottled it down mm -hmm. too much and it can't happen. Yeah. So the journey of transformation for me that is slow is recognizing and understanding or part of the journey that, that's, that's slow and takes time just to speak to what you're talking about, what this looks like in the everyday is to recognize, first of all, that, oh, I, I can absolutely be an angry person. I can be frustrated. I can be angry. I just hide it better than a lot of other people. Um, but to come to terms with that, first of all, to say anger in itself is not bad. Because I was brought up with the assumption, unspoken or spoken, that it, that's a bad emotion. You rid yourself of anger. Don't let the sun go down, et cetera. All of those scriptures that were sort of quoted. I said, well, let's nuance that a bit. What does this actually mean? So first to value it in the sense that it's okay actually for me to feel anger and to be with anger and to, um, and <laughs> what if God even feels that anger alongside you at times? What if that's a part? What if God is in solidarity with your anger? And I listened to, folks with black and brown skin, my, my, my friends who talk about that, I'm like, yeah, oh, okay, I can get that. And they understand God as someone who is present with them in that. So can I apply that to myself as well? So it's the journey of, of understanding the emotional landscape, how God is with me in the emotional landscape and learning to experience, see, sit with, be with anger in ways that are the most constructive and healthy. Um, and that takes some time. So I'm on this learning curve where, hmm. again, in my marriage relationship, I'm trying to let some of the anger be seen, but again, not be directed so it so as to cause harm. But so, but that's a learning curve because sometimes it does. It's like, oh, that. I'm sorry, I did not, <laughs> I did not release my anger in a helpful or constructive way. I'm sorry about that. Um, and so to learn and to it's like, okay, well, what does it mean to, to just walk this dance along saying, this is okay that I'm feeling this, but how does it impact other people? Um, and then the work of spiritual practice that helps me. So centering prayer and then it's companion welcoming prayer, which mm -hmm. teaches me then to, to welcome those emotions, those experiences, to feel them in my body. Um, yeah. And to, and to let go and to, and to receive uh, the presence of the divine who loves me, no matter what I'm experiencing. One thing that Josh and I talk a good bit about is these, these three centers of intelligence, you know, that there's mm -hmm. the mind, the heart and the body. And you just were talking about the, the obviously just your Enneagram type within the body uh, triad. But yeah. uh, I think this concept of body, heart, mind, it, it's it's all over the Hebrew scriptures and New Testament. But in terms of when you and, and you had a little bit about this in your book. But when you think about with with this wine metaphor or maybe the experience of wine and then kind of leaping off that into our formation, how would you describe kind of the, the, the link of, of experiencing wine uh, on the body level, the heart level and the, the mind level? Uh, like, do you want to speak to all three or? Yeah, to, nutshell or just... it for us. So I need you to nutshell it and then you land it <laughs> perfectly like Sully Sullenberger uh, on the Hudson. Go. 
Ah, oh man, I am so, this is another example to the previous question of something that's totally in process for me. And um, yeah, when it comes to the experience and the appreciation of wine, I mean, that first seems to happen in the body. It's in the senses, it's in that, in the seeing, in the swirling and the smelling and the tasting, the ingesting. Um, it's very, I mean, it, I, I say as well, I think maybe this book was, happen to have a copy right here. This is not gonna help any of the listeners, but I'm just holding it up to the screen right now, just so you can envision it in your brains, in your minds, in your hearts, in your bodies, all the intelligence centers. And um, yeah, so that, that's the way we experience it is, is wine is through the body. Um, but there's something that happens as, <laughs> as we smell. And, and again, I can sit and swirl and sniff for a long time before I actually take, take a sip because I so enjoy that process. Maybe even more since I realized it's 80% and I'm gonna, you know, if I'm a betting man, <laughs> I'm gonna say most of my experience is happening right here and stick with it. And uh, so I've, I've loved that. But then there's something that happens in the heart space um, and whether I'm by myself, but so often I'm with other people as well and I'm enjoying wine in the company of others and something begins to happen, something begins to open. We, we look at each other and say, isn't this incredible? Like, what are you tasting here? And there's that instant curiosity. So something opens to others as we sort of experience and share it together. And again, the communion, met, communion metaphor is very rich in this, in this context as well. And then something, maybe it hits the mind last. Maybe it gets to that we begin to say, what do we think about this? Um, what do I think about this entire experience that I've had? I don't know. I'm trying that on for the first time. Thanks for the question. Yeah, I love it. I love what, do you, it. what do you guys think? What do you feel? No, I like it a lot. It's, I mean, just listening to you talk is making me uh, think about, you know, obviously my context beer, but like, because mm. like, I had a conversation with Greg recently and we talked about the three centers of knowing and how like our body is the one that like, our body is infinitely wide. It's like our body figures shit out like way before our mind does. And so I just thought it was really cool that the wine drinking experience emulates that. Like the first thing it is, is body. It is an embodied thing. And the same with beer. Um, and beer does like, you know, typically one thing I love about beer is that it brings together a community of people from all walks of life. Mm -hmm. Like there are people that come into the brewery that I hang out with that I would otherwise not have that opportunity to like, I've built a really cool community of super diverse people from all different walks of life that come together and something happens when you share a glass of beer with somebody and they um, open themselves up and they, they invite you into their, their story and into their life. Um, yeah. And then it is, I mean, the mind is, does then tend to be the last thing. <laughs> involves yeah. just thinking about it is just uh i don't know i like it like yeah. well i think wine and beer are far more spiritual than than perhaps people give it credit for which oh, i think is absolutely probably yeah. one of the main points of your book <laughs> yeah. yeah if you have eyes to see yeah, yeah. i don't know again if you want to talk about theological categories if i wasn't a sacramentalist before writing this book i 100 percent am now <laughs> mm, yes i'm yes. pretty sure i was before already but uh yeah i love it 
I love yeah. it. Well, can I share just quickly since Greg said the pragmatic thing? Mm. Um, you named something in your book that like just kind of hits where I find myself currently. And I didn't have good words for it. But when I was reading, I was like, well, this is it. Um, would it be, can I name that? Is that cool to you yeah, guys? For sure. Um, so you use this, like you called it like maintenance mode, basically <laughs> and talked about maintenance. Yeah. Um, and that just feel like it resonated so deeply with me. Cause right now I'm in a very, uh, weird space. I used to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I loved for all the shit that I talk. I loved being a pastor. Um, I love pastoring people, I guess is how I would say it. Um, Mm. I love being with people. I love talking to people. I love helping people. Um, I love creating space for people to just be, um, and, but like now I don't, I'm not, I'm not a vocational pastor. I'm, uh, making beer, which a lot of the work that I do is very, very, very mundane. (laughs) insanely mundane like yesterday i cleaned kegs and flipped two tanks which means i kegged them off cleaned and sanitized them while cleaning kegs like that is mindless mundane bullshit work that nobody else sees or thinks about but if it didn't happen then like none of the other stuff would happen you know um so just being in this space and like i'm i'm experiencing this tension currently where it's like I absolutely love what I do. I love being a brewer. I love making beer. I love the people, everything about it. But there's also this tension in me. There's a part of me that uh, feels like it's been repressed or that that wants to be let out. And it is that more, um, what I would call like that more pastoral side of me. Um, But like, so I'm in this weird tension and how maintenance comes into play in this was I just kind of, I noticed how much spiritual growth and development has happened in this past year since I stopped being a pastor, like a significant amount, um, an insane amount. And it all has come through the mundane. Mm -hmm. It's come from, you Mm -hmm. know, tie it back in from earlier from stepping away from that pastor thing, hopping off the hamster wheel to use Greg's language. And taking a dive into the unknown, into the mundane and just seeing what God does. And like maintenance mode is like the best thing I've heard for it. So I just wanted to share that with you. Thank you for naming uh, the experience that I'm having um, and also helping me realize how, I mean, maintenance is the best, the best word. I feel like I was a very, uh, still am kind of, but I was a very broken person, um, that couldn't do pastoral ministry in a way that is healthy, um, Mm. for myself or for other people. And like this season of maintenance, um, has opened me up. I don't know that I'll ever be a pastor again, which Greg said that a lot. And I've learned not to say it because Greg is a priest again, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, uh, so I don't want to, you know, say it, but, um, I don't know. Something is happening. So thank you for, for naming that. Yeah. Uh, You're welcome. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes me think of um, the somewhereness theme as well. Like you, the, the things that happened to you, the contexts in which you work that have made it 
difficult and from needing to step away. And yeah, just find myself a lot, uh, just a lot of compassion stirring up for you and for that part of your journey. So trusting that you've got supports um, to continue that, that listening work. And, but it also sounds like there's this deeper sense that has not quite let go um, you know, within you. And so good, good to keep paying attention to that as well. Yeah. Well, Nilsson, uh, I can say it's, it's to dive into this metaphor has been rich, but even more than that, I think your heart is so evident and uh, it's clearly you've gone through a lot of shit <laughs> to, to get to where you are and people that go through a lot, you know, it either makes them, you know, brittle and cynical and uh, crusty, or it makes them very tender and uh, open. And I can just say your, your energy is just clearly uh, very uh, tender and compassionate. And I, and I, you know, I've been in full-time ministry for 28 years, so I've got a lot of battle scars and a lot of uh, deep yeah. love hate with the institutional church. But I, I actually had this thought. This is the first time, and I, I can't believe I'm sharing this voter because I don't share this kind of thing like mm. this about church. But when when you when you've been sharing, I actually thought I really wouldn't mind if that guy were my pastor. Like I might actually mm. go to that church, and I don't go to I don't like church. I just I go to church when I'm when I'm hired to preach, and I go to church to work. But I don't like going otherwise. But I actually yeah. thought this dude I could hang with. So anyway, I just want to name that because that was a heart response that I very rarely have, if ever. So just want to I just want to name that Nelson. But um, kind of okay. leaping off that, when if you had just as you've finished this book and 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 wrapped it up and now you've had some time to think about if if distilling it down like if you've got just a, a minute to share with someone if there's one thing that you feel like they could walk away with uh from this book that you're like this is this is an essence this is a heartbeat of what i'd love for you to know of why i poured my heart and energy and time and soul into this work what would you love them to walk away with yeah Oh man. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's okay not to be okay <laughs> is one of the pieces and it's okay to be in process. Um, and yeah, maybe God is even more excited about that process than you could ever be. Mm. And you're going to be okay. And yeah you know, God's got you, God is growing you. Um, continue to ask the questions to lean into those hard, those growth edges for you um, in a non-anxious, uh, self-compassionate kind of way. Seek out the people who can help you grow. Uh, don't be afraid to do that. Um, and then I'm very curious to listeners as well, if it's not wine, what's the thing? what's the thing, what's the earthy thing that helps you um, really connect to the sense of the divine. And yeah, maybe there, maybe our, the categories of what we allow to be called spiritual practice might expand and grow a little bit in your own journey. So I would pray for that. It's a big world out there <laughs> and it's a big interior world as well. So um, that's more of a riff than a sort of a, a quick sort of nugget of landing, but it nice really little is jazz. No, man, you just heard a little jazz here. A little jazz yeah, hit right there. A little bit. Right on. Little Thank you, man. Beautiful. Yeah. Thanks, Greg. Yeah. No, it's perfect. It's a great way to end because I, I mean, even though I use the phrase, you know, the journey of becoming a lot to talk mm -hmm. about life, um, I think life is more of a dance. 
and so the the joy is in the dancing and your riff is just it's a metaphor for your riff the joy is in the dancing and it's mm-hmm. it's not about the like a journey is just focused on the end point um but then you get it you miss so much along the way but if we can think about i think spirituality too as a dance yeah. and not just a journey um there's something there so it's great love it yeah right on. well nelson it's been awesome being with you today uh thank you for waking up at the butt crack of dawn and hanging out <laughs> with us <laughs> us crazy americans uh oh that's a good for sure been a delight to be with you guys yeah get to chat yeah well again thank you listeners um where where should people go to to snag a copy of your book nelson um if you are an amazon avoider then pretty well any local bookstore should be able to order it and access it if you're willing to wait um, for it, then yeah, just contact your local bookstore. I published self-published through Ingram spark and they've got 40,000 partners worldwide. So yeah, wholesale discounts are all competitive. So, so bookstores should be able to get a hold of it. I just talked to someone in the UK who was able to order it through Blackwell's. And so, yeah, literally anyone, but if you want it tomorrow or today, Amazon will, will get it to you as well. Nice. Yeah. Most excellent. Well, thank you, Greg. Any, closing thoughts before I shut it down. No, again, I just want to say, I appreciate it, man. Thanks, Nelson, for bringing your heart. I appreciate uh, taking this metaphor just out of kind of the the, the superficial or just kind of the, the, the classic uh, one or two dimensional interpretation and down into the gut. Uh, that's, uh, you know, Josh and I are, that's what we're passionate about. So uh, thanks for bringing your heart and your gut uh, and your presence uh, and sharing it. Thanks, man. Awesome. So welcome. Yeah, and listeners, thanks for hanging out with us today. And uh, until next time, peace and love, guys. Peace.